Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given. Oh, rams. Okay. So you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. So this week I've been spending some time thinking about wisdom because of that Bible passage. And I thought about how, how do we make wise decisions? And what does history reveal about humanity's search for wisdom? And what our society tells us about how to make wise decisions? And as I thought about stories of people making decisions, I realised that in our society, we tend to think about wise decisions in terms of one of, one of two ways. We either look into the future to imagine an outcome that we think will be good, or alternatively, we ask ourselves what's going to give us immediate pleasure. Both of these approaches about wisdom and wise decision-making have something to offer them, don't they? After all, we should consider the long-term consequences and, and the future in the decisions we make. And likewise, the immediate impact of a decision is important too. Who doesn't want to feel pleasure? But still, this worldly idea of wisdom has made problems, doesn't it? The future-oriented way of thinking often doesn't actually appear to be that good in hindsight, and that wise in hindsight. So as a boy, I had a friend. Well, my older brother Duncan had a friend, Mark, and his dad was a really rich property developer and a businessman. This is his house on the screen, or was his house when we were kids. I understood from Mark that his dad's goal in life was to earn a lot of money, become enormously wealthy, and then retire early so he could enjoy life, the easy life. And so in line with this envisioned outcome of an easy life, the dad worked really, really hard, spending many hours a week away from his family working and never really enjoying either his family or the wealth of his labours. And of course, never quite satisfied with the wealth that he had got, never satisfied that he'd reached his utopian outcome, the dad decided he had to find a better way to make money. 
And so just like actually a large number of Western Australian businessmen from the 80s, he resorted to theft and embezzlement. And eventually, his illegal deeds caught up with him and he ended up being jailed for a number of years. According to the world's wisdom, one of our key drives in life should be to earn lots of money, to accumulate wealth and material goods, so that one day we can relax and enjoy those goods. Didn't turn out too well though for Mark's dad, did it? Another one of world, the world's pearls of wisdom is that life is about gaining high status in our working life and becoming important through the advancement of our careers. Yeah. Yeah. By Graham <laughs> <laughs> I was actually chatting to a woman about this a few weeks back. And she was telling me how she used to think like this. She had worked really, really hard in her chosen profession over 15 years with the prime aim of moving up the ladder and getting higher status in her career. And that was the focus for most of her last 15 years. And although she had actually achieved a lot, she said that she actually now really regretted that all those years because she had missed out so much of her son's growing up, who was now 15. She said that in the last couple of years, she had realised how much she had missed. And she recognised that her choices represented her place in her career and status above the, the relationships. And as a result, she actually believed her relationship with her son really suffered. So the world's wisdom is that we should make decisions in the present so that we advance in money, wealth, career, status, so that one day we'll reach this ideal utopian future. Also, somewhat contradictorily, the world at the same time tells us that all that really matters is pleasurable experiences right now. I read an online article that demonstrated this in an extreme way a couple of weeks ago. The story with adult themes. I realise we have some teenagers listening, but it's not too bad, I think. <laughs> Apologies, Andrew and Shalanda. <laughs> Cover your kids' ears, maybe. <laughs> anyway, the article was written by a man who was in the process of divorcing his wife. His wife of 11 years had been distant and unhappy for some time. Then one day she sat down with her husband and she said that she had been chatting things through with her counsellor, her therapist, and that they had decided, and she had decided, that she had missed out on a lot of pleasurable activities earlier in life, and that's why she was so unhappy. And so to become happy again, she and her husband needed to open up their marriage. They needed to have an open marriage. So it began a number of months where she started dating and sleeping with various other men, most commonly her boss at work. Her husband, on the other hand, what do you think happened to him? Well, he spiraled into sadness and anger, and he ultimately decided that he was going to divorce her because of this. When he confronted her with this decision, she burst into tears saying that the other men had meant nothing to her and that she just felt she needed to experience pleasures that she had missed out on as a younger woman. All this unhappiness for some moments of immediate pleasure. Yet, this is the world's wisdom, isn't it? If it feels good, do it. Our society tells us that wisdom is found in looking at our idealised future and pursuing it by whatever means necessary. That's the ethics of utilitarianism. And our society tells us that wisdom is found in grabbing an immediate pleasure in the present without thought of the future. That's the ethics of hedonism. But look how things so often turn out when we follow this type of wisdom. The world's wisdom so often actually leads to misery. 
unhappiness. It's not real wisdom at all, is it? Real wisdom is found somewhere very different, which is why Paul wrote what he did in his letter to the Church of Ephesus. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight. As fallen creatures, we get so mixed up in our own understanding of reality. And we're really in need of true wisdom. And true wisdom, according to the Bible, comes from God. Proverbs, which is a book in the Old Testament, says in chapter 2, verse 6, For the Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And then again in chapter 3, verse 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own wisdom, your own understanding. The Bible recognises this limitation in human wisdom and it encourages us to understand that real wisdom comes from God. But real wisdom, according to Paul, is found in the knowledge of God. Wisdom and insight in the knowledge of God. But this doesn't actually simply mean knowing about God. Anyone can learn a set of facts. Anyone can learn about something. But learning a set of facts about something doesn't actually make someone wise. This is something that I've had to learn in my work in medicine. Let me demonstrate with the story of a patient I saw a couple of weeks back. It was a woman who had come into hospital after becoming increasingly tired and confused over a number of weeks. Some blood tests revealed she had liver failure and she was admitted for further investigation under one of the medical teams. So they performed a CT scan that showed sadly she had pancreas cancer and that the cancer was blocking off her bile duct. So the bile duct is this, this tube that drains the liver. I know Nicole doesn't like me doing medical stories. <laughs> so much of my life. Um, and this bile duct is this tube that sends out uh, toxins out of the body. So although having pancreas cancer is a terrible thing, there's also some potentially good news in this. Because in these sorts of situations, a metal tube, a stent, can be put in by a simple operation to relieve that blockage and let the liver work again. So a doctor spoke to her about this and they decided, with her and her family, to put this stent in place. They also gave my team a call for advice, uh, for advice on pain management. So I came along to see the woman. She looked very unwell. She was very frail, very drowsy, and the liver tests were awful. But of particular interest to me was her CT scan. Because in addition to the primary cancer blocking off the bile duct, it also showed multitudes of cancer in the liver itself. I reckon about 90% of her liver was taken up by cancer. So, knowledge tells us that a stent can be put in to unblock her liver. But what does wisdom tell us? Well, it says that there's no value in that operation because the liver won't work anyway because it's already so badly damaged by the cancer. So blocking off, unblocking it isn't going to make a squad of difference. Anyway, I spoke to her family about this, the doctors in charge of her care about this, and suggested that they cancel the procedure. They decided they wanted to go ahead with the stent anyway. The medical team organised the operation, the stent was put in, the woman's liver didn't get better. She died three days later. The knowing facts doesn't make us wise. It's what we do with the facts that makes us wise. And this is especially true of God's wisdom. 
Knowing facts about God doesn't make us wise. To be wise, we need much more than knowledge about God. When Paul wrote in verse 17 that his prayer was that the church would gain spiritual wisdom and insight to grow in knowledge of God, he wasn't speaking about knowing facts about God. He was speaking about knowing God. Having a deep and intimate knowledge of a person. Of having a relationship with our Heavenly Father. That's where we find wisdom. In relationship with God. Because it's within the context of relationship that God shares truths with us, giving us the gift of wisdom. It's in the context of being his child that God guides us and teaches us about life. James spoke about this in his letter when he wrote in chapter 1, verse 5. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. And Jesus said something similar in Luke 21, 15, when he said, I will give you the right words and wisdom. We can be wise because God shares his insights with us. God teaches us about life, teaches us about the world and what to seek in life. When we follow God, we're walking with the truly wise one. As it says in Proverbs 13, 20, walk with the wise and become wise. So wisdom isn't gained through knowing about God. Wisdom comes through knowing God, by walking with him, following him, listening to him as a disciple, living in his presence as an adopted son. So what does wisdom from God look like? What do we learn from God? Well, in one sense, it's going to be different for each person. It's going to be specific to each person in his own context in life because God speaks to each person individually. One thing I'm sure of is that real wisdom in life from God will look very different than what the world tells us about wisdom. The world tells us that wisdom is found in doing what makes you feel good in the present, or thinking about an idealised future and doing whatever needs to be done in the present to reach that utopia. Neither of these approaches in life is biblical. As far as I can see, God hasn't endorsed either of these two approaches. In the present, rather than seeking our own pleasure, Jesus commanded us to live in ways that benefit others. He called us to love others and consider their needs first. And in terms of the future, God's already got the future figured out. He commands us not to be anxious about the future. To never, and he never endorses that utilitarian ethic of seeking a future utopia. Instead, he endorses a deontological ethic where we make decisions based on right and wrong in the present, not on a potential future utopia. We leave the future then up to him. So true wisdom, God's wisdom, will look very, very different from the world's wisdom. And because of this, true wisdom will at times bring us into conflict with society and the world. So take, for example, the worldly wisdom or value of wealth. Our world values wealth greatly. God doesn't. Look at Proverbs 16.16. How much better to get wisdom than gold and good judgment than silver? And so there'll be times when real wisdom puts us in direct contradiction with what the world seeks. In fact, 
Paul had direct experience of this in the city of Ephesus. So five years or so before he wrote the letter to the Ephesians, the church in Ephesus, Paul had actually spent some time living in Ephesus. The story of this can be found in Acts 19, which tells of Paul experiencing conflict because of the world's view on wealth, coming into direct confrontation with the wisdom of God. I'll read Acts 19, 23-29, which tells the tale. About this time, serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the way. That was what the church was called back then. It began with Demetrius, a silversmith, who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines of the Greek goddess Artemis. Demetrius kept many craftsmen busy. He called them together, along with other employed in similar trades, and addressed them as follows. Gentlemen, you know that our wealth comes from this business. But as as you've seen and heard, this man Paul has persuaded many people that handmade gods aren't really gods at all. And he's done this not only here in Ephesus, but throughout the entire province. Of course, I'm not just talking about the loss of public respect for our business. I'm also concerned that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will lose its influence and that Artemis, the magnificent goddess worshipped throughout the province of Asia and around the world, will be robbed of great prestige. At this, their anger boiled over and they began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was filled with confusion. Everyone rushed to the amphitheatre, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, who were Paul's travelling companions from Macedonia. So as Paul taught the people of Ephesus about Jesus and more and more people came to know God, the public in Ephesus stopped worshipping false gods. They stopped spending money on idols. And that's, that's God's wisdom. Of course, because the idol makers began to lose business, they stopped making large amounts of money and that offended their worldly sense of wisdom, what they were after. And so because of this, conflict between godly and worldly wisdom, the idol makers raged, which led them to grab some of the early church leaders and beat them. So when Paul wrote about spiritual wisdom in Ephesians, he knew firsthand how different spiritual wisdom was from the world's idea of wisdom and how this could lead to conflict. There's always going to be a divide between what the world thinks is wise and what God thinks is wise. As Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 3.19, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. And then conversely, in 1 Corinthians 1.18, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. So this, this divide in what is considered wisdom and what's considered foolish is ultimately, inevitably, going to lead to conflict at times. I think of friends of mine who have made choices to obey God, to follow Jesus' calling in their life by giving up a lifestyle of greed or another sin or by leaving a good job to pursue another calling. These choices have often brought them into direct conflict with family and friends who can't see the wisdom in their choices. Sometimes even the tension between the world's view on wisdom and God's view is so great that we even feel that conflict ourselves internally, deep in us, as we struggle to choose wisely. We all experience this at some stages in our lives. And so we all need the prayer of Paul for wisdom and depth of insight and the knowledge of God so that when conflict comes, we can stay the course and continue with courage in our Christian work. With this wisdom, when conflict comes, we can be confident in our choice to listen to God. 
In verse 18 of, the Ephesians, of Ephesians 1, Paul continued his prayer for wisdom in the church saying, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand can understand the confident hope he's given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. When, because, because we've trusted God, when times get hard because of that, it's so important for us to remember our hope and be confident in God's promises. We're not following a cold or heartless God. God's not an uncaring, far-off being. He's a good father. He's adopted <laughs> us as his children. We were bought by the spilled blood of Jesus, God the Son. That's how much he cares for us. That's how valuable we are. And this knowledge should give us great, unbreakable confidence. It should anchor us in unshakable faith and confidence in God's power. Because we know the power of God. It's the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Just like Paul prayed in verse 19 when he wrote, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honour at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Not only does God love us so much he gave us his only son, he also has power, power over death. And that same power that raised Christ from the dead will also raise God's adopted children. So when the world's wisdom tells us that we're wrong when we listen to God and follow his way, we can have the strength to stay the course in our obedience to God. Because no matter how hard things become or what conflicts arise, we know that ultimately God will put things right. If not on this side of the grave, certainly on the other side of the grave. So no matter what darkness the world tries to throw at a child of God to confuse the child, the light of God's wisdom will not be able to be overcome. Jesus said something similar in John 8, verse 12. He spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. So I wonder what's happening in each of your lives at the moment. Perhaps right now in your life you see the world trying to draw you away from God. If so, take heart and pray for wisdom. God will enlighten your heart. He will open your eyes. He'll remind you of his love and his great power to rescue you. Or alternatively, maybe your faith is strong at the moment. Maybe you're walking closely with the Lord. If that's you, that's, that's brilliant. Just take time today to pause to praise God that he is blessing you with true wisdom. That he pulled you out of darkness into light. And keep on trusting. Keep following and be patient because even if you're not seeing it right now, one day you will see God's power. So let's never cease to pray Paul's prayer. Praying constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give us and our Christian brothers and sisters around the world spiritual wisdom and insight so that we might all grow in knowledge of God. Pray that our hearts will be flooded with light so that we can understand the confident hope he's given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. And pray that you and I will understand 
that incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. Remembering it's the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly realm. Never cease praying that prayer. Amen. Amen.